So our scriptures today come from Psalm 133, Psalm 23, and John chapter 12. Listen for the word of God to you. From Psalm 133. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured out on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on the Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, life forevermore. From Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And in the house of the Lord, I will dwell forever. And from John chapter 12, six days before Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected, Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wage. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As a keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Oh, dear Heavenly Father, we pray that you would open up the heavens, that you would pour out on first prayers your unity, your refreshing, and that we would surrender our hearts to you. Lord, any words that I say that are not of your will, I ask that they fall to the ground and be forgotten. But whatever words that I say that are of your will, I ask that they embed in hearts and bear good fruit unto the kingdom of God. Lord, let us not hinder your word, but feed your sheep. In Jesus' name, amen. So hello, First Presbyterian Church. My name is the Reverend William Roberts. I generally go by Pastor Will. I can't be here with you today. I'm uh, preaching at my current church and then doing a um, training after church. So as I am doing my officer training, you'll be listening to this sermon. So who said men can't multitask? Definitely multitasking now. I, w I am speaking to you today because I would love I would be honored to be your pastor. Why do I want to be your pastor? Well, I put it, I summarize it with the four P's. The first P stands for puns. After my first interview with First Presbyterian Church, uh, you all sent me a brochure in the mail that I got 
the next day. I opened it up and there was a brochure from Pearland and it said, Pearland, prepare to love it. You all did not know my, my fixation with wordplay, my delight in wordplay, and I promise I will keep the wordplay to a minimum in my sermons, but outside of that, all bets are off. When I, when I saw that, I, I smiled and I was like, is this pre- predestined or something? This is great. Prepare to love it. Well, when I visited Perlin, there was even more wordplay going on. I, I got lunch with a wonderful family and learned that one of their daughters, a middle school youth, is involved in a middle school robotics team called the Paranauts. The high school robotics team is called the Paradox. And then one of your members took me out to lunch at a burrito place called Bull Ritos, which combines my two favorite things, burritos and puns. So clearly, I am predestined to be in Texas. Yes, I am prepared to love it. While puns make me smile, that's not the main reason. I'm prepared to love Pearland, and I'm prepared to love you all. The next P is really one of my main reasons, which is the people I met on your PNC. When I visited Perlin, I met some wonderful people on your PNC who filled me with love and also filled me with food, which I understand at First Pres is a tradition to fill people with both love and food. Often those are interchangeable. And I was just moved deeply in my spirit by your uh, church's kindness and by your all's church's witness to the Lord. And it reminded me as I was listening to your former pastor, Casey Jones's sermons on your website, of one particular analogy he used for First Pres. He described First Pres as a huddle of penguins. I didn't know this at the time, but apparently in the Arctic, what penguins do to stop from, to protect themselves from the cold is they gather around in this huddle, and those on the inside of the huddle are warmed, and those on the outside of the huddle bear the cold for those on the inside. And then after a while, they rotate. Those on the inside go to the outside, and those on the outside go to the inside. Pastor Casey talked about how during his struggle with cancer, which unfortunately he lost and had to go be with the Lord, that he was surrounded by you guys in a holy huddle of love. And I have felt that too in my visit to First Pres. I felt surrounded by that holy huddle. And while Arctic winds and trials may come, as they certainly did with Casey, and while we may not know why everything works out the way it does, we can trust that in this holy huddle, in the, this communion of saints, we will endure and we will overcome and we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. The third P stands for your former pastor, Casey Jones. One of my life verses is 1 Thessalonians 5.18, which says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. When I heard about Casey's death on Pentecost, my heart broke for you all. 
And we may not know God's will in every circumstance. There are a lot of things that are a mystery. But we know that all things work together for good for those who love God and are ordained for his purposes. And we know God's will in all circumstances is to rejoice and to give thanks. So I'd like to give, take a moment and give thanks for Pastor Casey Jones's life. Particularly, I was listening to his memorial service and I was moved to tears by the testimony of his children, of Stephen and Lydia. Stephen talked about a time when he was eight or nine years old, and he had seen a preview of a scary movie on TV. Casey stood over his son and read the words of Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Stephen had heard this psalm before as a child, but this time it stuck in his heart. When he was eight or nine years old, he remembered thinking, wow, believing in God is for real. If he can protect me now, he is for real. I can't listen to those words without weeping for joy, because that is my heart to show the world that God is real. I long for God as a dear longs for running water, and I believe Casey longed for God in that way. I believe you all long for God in that way. Lydia talked about how as a teenager, she found her father lying down on, the face, on his face in prayer one morning, his Bible open next to him. This was because he was desperate for Jesus, and he valued genuine faith above all else. Stephen affirmed this by recounting his journey with his father to the International House of Prayer in Kansas City with his father in college. The whole drive from Pearland to Kansas City, they sang the worship song, I am desperate for you. Casey prayed not because he was full of himself, but because he wanted to empty himself. Casey prayed because he wanted to know the power of the resurrection and share that power with the broken and the hurting. And that's why I find myself, too, on the floor, on my face, in prayer. Because I know that you all deserve more than a sermon, that you all deserve more than a song, that you all deserve a minister who will lead you to the heart of worship, who will lead you back to Jesus, who will lead you to a time where the glory of the Lord will cover first press as the waters cover the sea. And I believe that time is coming. The fourth P stands for prayer, your heart for prayer, which I believe is my heart for prayer. As I was praying here at Calvin in my prayer closet one day many months ago before I even knew about you all, I felt like I got a word from the Lord, which I believe is a word for us for such a time as this. The Lord said to me, pray for the oil. Now, he doesn't mean the oil that comes from the ground. You guys in Texas, you got plenty of that. He means the oil of the anointing that comes from heaven. And the good news today is when we pray for the oil, we will be refreshed in the presence of the Lord. What does the oil in Scripture symbolize? It symbolizes three things. It symbolizes unity, refreshing, and surrender. First, the oil symbolizes unity. 
As Psalm 133 says, how good and pleasant it is when God's people dwell together in unity. It is like oil being poured down the beard of the priests. And then God, we in the Reformed tradition, believe that we are a priesthood of all believers and we can receive that blessing when we are one. But can I, I be honest? Sometimes I feel in the church it's harder to have unity, unity in the church than it is to heal the sick, than it is to raise the dead. But that was Jesus' prayer for us before he went to the cross. He prayed that we would be one as he is one with his Father. And he, all of these things, all of these miracles, I believe, follow when we are one in community. But it's not something we do for ourselves. It's a gift from the Lord that he gives us in prayer. The mountain of Hermon, I looked this up, and some of you who went to Israel with Casey know this, is one of the tallest mountains in Israel, and Israel is generally a dry land. But on this mountain, it's tall enough that it gets into the clouds, and in the early morning, the dew from the clouds settle on the top of the mountain, and it feeds the foliage there, and the top of the mountain is greener than the bottom of the mountain. What God is saying in Psalm 133 is he can take that blessing from heaven, that blessing on the top of the mountain, and he can bring it to Mount Zion, which is Jerusalem, where God's people dwell. He can bring that to the church when we pray to be one. As Jesus is one with the Father, we will receive refreshing in the presence of the Lord. Next, the oil stands for refreshing in the presence of the Lord. Oil was traditionally used to anoint the king at the beginning of his rule as a sign of God's blessing. But when the king went through the valley of the shadow of the death with his people, as David is doing in this passage, he needed a time of refreshing. Yes, times in the valleys come, but time of refreshings come as well when he anoints our head with oil when he prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies, where he restores our soul. And I believe that time is coming for you all with all my heart. As Peter said at the first Pentecost to his people, let us turn our hearts to the Lord, that a times of refreshing may come in the presence of the Lord, that the glory of the Lord shall cover the earth as the water covers the sea. I know you have been waiting for that revival. I have been waiting for that revival all my life, and I believe with all my heart it is coming for us. So let us not lose hope. We will reap a harvest if we don't give up. Finally, the oil stands for surrender. As we see in the Gospel of John in this passage, oil was used to cover over the stench of death at a burial. But in this passage, in John, it's being used in a bit different way. Jesus has defeated death. The resurrection, resurrection and the light proved it by raising Lazarus from the dead. And Martha and Mary are doing what you would do if someone raised your brother from the dead. They're thanking Jesus with a feast. 
And Mary uses this oil, which is worth a year's wages, which maybe she was saving for Lazarus's funeral. She uses it, she breaks it, she pours it out on Jesus's feet. She washes his feet with her hair. And all Judas can say is, you're wasting money, even though Judas was a thief. You see, Mary had given herself to the resurrection of the, and the life. She had surrendered herself to the heart of worship, to the love of Jesus. And that is what we all have to do to come to that point of surrender to God. Even Jesus had to do that. In the Garden of Gethsemane, when He struggled in prayer, when He bled blood, the Gospel of Mark tells us He prayed, Abba, Father, I know in you all things are possible, so if it be your will, may this cup pass from me, but not my will, but thy will be done. Richard Foster, author of Prayer, Finding the Heart's True Home, calls this the prayer of relinquishment. I believe it's a prayer I've gone through. I believe it's a prayer you all have gone through. To quote Foster, Struggle is an essential feature of the prayer of relinquishment. Did you notice that Jesus asked repeatedly for the cup to pass? Make no mistake about it. He could have avoided the cross if he had so chosen. He had free will and genuine choice. And he freely chose to submit his will to the will of the Father. It was no simple choice or quick fix. Jesus' prayer struggle, replete with bloody sweat, lasted long into the night. Relinquishment is no easy task. All the luminaries of Scripture struggle as well. Abraham as he relinquished his son Isaac. Moses as he relinquished his understanding of how the deliverer of Israel should function. David as he relinquished the son given to him by Bathsheba. Mary as she relinquished control over her future. Paul, as he relinquished his desire to be free of the debilitating thorn in the flesh. I know, I know the prayer of relinquishment. My sister has suffered from a chronic pain condition for many years now. It's brought my family to the point of despair. And though I believe in divine healing and I have seen miracles. I've had to relinquish that to God and be at peace with that. And I know your struggles in prayer for Casey. And I know things didn't work out the way you wanted them to. And I don't know why. There are many things that will always be above our pay grade. But I do know one thing. All things work together for good for those who are, love God and are ordained unto His purposes. And I believe that all our struggles have brought us to this point of weakness, have brought us to this point of surrender so that God could speak to us as He spoke to Paul, as He struggled with the thorn in His flesh. He says to us, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. 
Thus, let us rejoice in our weakness because when we are weak, the power of Christ will rest upon us and the world will see that it is Christ and it is not us. Our shepherd has led us through the valley of the shadow and I believe he is coming to bring a time of refreshing and that is why I want to come to you. So pray for unity Pray for refreshing. Pray that we may surrender our hearts to the Lord because he loves us more than the sparrows. He has numbered every hair on our heads. He is the potter and we are the clay. So let allow him to shape us into his will that we may be one as he is one with the Father. Pray, my friends. Pray always. Rejoice in all circumstances. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks. This is the will of God for us in Christ Jesus. Pray always as I know you do. Pray for the oil. In the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.